Good morning, Genesis. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And just the things that we mentioned, I, I was trying to find a passage that I felt kind of gives us a little insight to how God reaches people. You know, Michael Turner did a great job last week. His study was, was amazing as he talked about the, the fire of the Spirit and keeping that alive and gave practical points to establishing that or to keeping that with your time, with your plans, as well as with your life. And I love one of the quotes that he, he shared by John Wesley. And, and the quote is actually that if you set your fire, you set your life on fire with enthusiasm, people will come for miles just to watch you burn. And having this understanding that our passion for God is contagious. And before we can reach people, we first have to be reached. And we have to have an understanding of how God works and how God reaches people because I think we get a skewed image in our mind of what and how God works so many times. And it's partly a fault of organized religion that has taken the idea of ministry and has made it something that's organizational instead of something that is personal. And here in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, we get a, a wonderful story. Let's start in reading verse 1. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because he, through the Lord, had been given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of, from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Now, this story starts out in an unexpected place. It starts out with this commander of the Syrian army. Now, we know from just this passage that these people were at odds with the nation of Israel, which were God's people. 
because one of the raids, they went in there and they took this girl as a souvenir and brought her back and now she was a slave in the household of this man. That just shows you the kind of relationship that was going on with the nation of Israel and with the people of Syria. And here this man, Naaman, is a captain of these people. Now, he's one of the soldiers that have been fighting against the nation of Israel. Now, this is what I love about God and the Scripture is where would be the least likely place you would think God would be at work and concerned about? In the camp of his enemy. Not only that, in the soldiers of his enemy. Those who are at war against Israel. We find our story starts there. And Naaman had all these things going for him. And it's interesting because it says in verse 1 that through him the Lord had given victory to Aram or to Syria. Through Naaman. And he was a, a man that was valiant, a soldier. But he had leprosy. And so our story begins in a foreign country and the enemy's camp. And this man who has power, this man who has everything, also has a disease that's incurable. And it doesn't matter his prestige, it doesn't matter his status. He's faced with his frailty, his humanity. And you know what? Each of us come to that place at some point in our lives where it doesn't matter what our status is, it doesn't matter what our job is, it doesn't matter how people see us. At some point in our lives, we are going to come face to face with our humanity, with our frailty, and the recognition that we are dust, that we are here for a moment and are susceptible to disease, susceptible to death, susceptible to calamity, whether we live in Haiti or the United States. We're not immune to these things. And it doesn't matter if you're in the nation of Israel or in the nation of Aram. It doesn't matter if you're living in the United States or in Haiti. It doesn't matter if you are a follower of Christ or a pagan you are still susceptible to disease. You are still susceptible to hardship, calamity. And here, Naaman, with all his valor, means nothing. He has leprosy. He is going to die. And it's going to be slow and painful and a very disgraceful death. All his medals, all his valor mean nothing. He'll be ostracized from his family, from his community. He will have to live on the outskirts of town, no longer able to communicate with those. But there's this servant girl who says, well, there's a prophet in Israel and Samaria. He could heal him if you just go there. And I want you to kind of get a hold of the characters that are in this story and see the role that they play. There's, of course, Naaman, who's the, the main character. He's the leading role. You know, he's played by Brad Pitt or somebody. And then there's the king of Aram. And then you've got the king that is there in Samaria of Israel. And then you've got the, the slave girl. And what's interesting to me is the slave girl says, well, the prophet can take care of this. 
And Naaman says, well, hey, how about it? The king says, hey, go. I'll give you what you need. And he gives him about $100,000 worth of gold and silver and those things. And it says that he has, you know, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. That wasn't because his wife was traveling with him. It was, it was because he was actually going to give those away to someone. They were fine threads of the day, the Armani suit of the time that was supposed to be given to someone because clothing was, you know, a luxury, at least fine clothing. And so here he comes with this wealth, seeking to be healed from his leprosy. And then scene switches, pan over to the king of Israel who gets the letter from Naaman saying, hey, yeah, can you take care of Naaman and heal him from his leprosy? And what does the, the leader of Israel, God's people, do? What does he do? What? He freaks out. Interesting. The king of the pagans says, go. God will do something. The slave girl, hey, I know someone who can heal you. The king of Israel, uh, what are you talking about, man? And where we find faith is not where we would expect. It's not in the leadership of God's nation. It's in the heart of someone who has a need of Naaman. And so after the king freaks out in verse 8, when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? (laughs) What are you doing? I hope you feel stupid now. Uh, Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, this is the point that intrigues me, and it always has. I have shared before in Chronicles when Solomon dedicated the temple. He said, Lord, when the stranger, the foreigner, comes to this your temple and prays, Answer that foreigner's prayer so that he might know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, that you might reveal yourself the true God to those who don't believe, to those who don't know, to those who are looking. And you see, that's the point. God is calling people from the places we would not expect it, from the commander's army of the enemy of God's people. God says, hey, You have a need that can only be met by me. Come to here and here receive what I have for you. And there you will find what you need. And the prophet says he's got to come here so that he might know that there is a prophet in Israel. That he might know that there is a God who is above all other gods that he might find God. And once again, we see that God is the one who is reaching out for people. And just like we kind of saw with the book of Jonah, God was the one compassionate. Jonah was the one who didn't want to go. And here we see this foreigner, this enemy to Israel, is wanting to receive. The prophet of God tells him, come, but the king of Israel says, no, he's trying to pick a battle. And he's without faith. And so finally he says, okay, send him to me. And then he will see that there is a prophet in in Israel. Verse 9 says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Now you got to picture this. Okay, here is this guy. He's no doubt 
dressed up nice. He's probably looking pretty dapper there. With whatever that look, whatever robes they were wearing back then, he was looking pretty fine. And he's got horses and chariots. Chariots, okay, that's like the Ferrari of the day. Corrine and I went, got a little time away, went down to San Diego, and, you know, we saw these incredible cars when we were down there. I forget this one car, it was a Lamborghini, you know, it was a yellow Lamborghini. We saw, I just saw that car, and it's like, oh man, look at that car. But they're not happy, they're not happy, they can't be, you know. <laughs> it's just not fair, God, if they can have the car and be happy. Anyway. So Naaman shows up with this entourage, and he looks impressive. And he makes the appearance, and he looks noble. He's a man of valor. He's a man of recognition. And notice what happens. This man, as he comes there with all his pomp. In verse 10, Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. He sent his servant. The prophet didn't come out. He sent his servant. How would you feel? I've got leprosy. I'm in desperation. And some servant comes out there and says, go take a bath. Think of it, when you go to the doctor, if you're concerned, something is serious with you, and you want to see the doctor, and they send the reception out to you, and they say, here's a prescription, go take care of it, and you'll be fine. I, what? I just spent $100 for this visit, and it took five minutes? Well, we know what that's like, right? And so, Naaman's response in verse 11, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought... He would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. This proves that he was watching Christian television. <clears throat> Are not Abanana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then? He tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman had an expectation of what God was going to do. And it didn't unfold the way he had thought it should. And he was upset. And he almost missed it. He almost left and remained a leper because of his pride. Pride will kill us. 
And many times we feel like God isn't doing things the way I want him to. God should take care of this for me. I have God should come out and he should wave his hand over the spot and he should heal me and he should provide for me and he should give me that job and he should do, he should, he should. We have it in our mind what would be best. And when it doesn't pan out, we leave in a rage. And unless this servant entreated him, and unless Naaman humbled himself and actually went and dipped himself foolishly in the Jordan seven times, he never would have been healed. You know, God says to confess your sin, and I'm faithful to forgive your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. And you think, that's foolish. I don't need that. Because of pride, you, you don't acknowledge what God says. We don't humble ourselves. And we bear the consequences. And thank God for this servant who was humble enough to say, what's going to hurt? Why not try? And so Naaman does. He's cleansed. Verse 15, it says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. And now he stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Now remember before he came with his chariots, his pomp, he wanted him to come before him. Now he's his servant. There's been a change that's taken place in Naaman. From coming in prestige to now coming in servitude. But now he's whole. And so he comes and he wants to give this to the prophet, all the, the clothes and the gold. And the prophet answers, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. Now, what's this about? Well, it was believed that where you worshipped was important. And now God of Israel is worshipped in Israel. And so what Naaman wants to do is take some of Israel back with him. Take some dirt so he can set some dirt there and now he can put the dirt on the floor and then he'll worship the God of Israel because in a sense, in his mind, he's bringing the God of Israel with him. Now, we know that God does not dwell in, in temples built with men's hands and the earth is nothing special. It's nothing, it's just dirt. When Moses went to the burning bush and God said, take your sandals off for the place you're standing on is holy ground, the dirt wasn't holy. The presence of God made the space holy. We know that. We understand that. Naaman didn't. Naaman just wanted to connect to God however he could, and so he wanted to get two giant bags of dirt or as much dirt as two mules could carry. He wanted to bring as much of God back with him as he could. That's his heart. He's like, I just, I, I want you to know I will not worship any other God but the God of Israel. There's been a change that took place in Naaman. 
How did the change take place? Did someone preach to him? No, he was healed. How was he healed? He was obedient to what God asked him to do through the prophet. And so our story plays out in the enemy's camp. A slave girl tells her master, there's a prophet in Israel. The enemy of Israel goes there with a letter saying, hey, help me get healed. The king freaks out. The prophet says, don't freak out. Send him to me. He comes, the prophet doesn't see him, says, go take a bath. He's healed. I don't know about you, but if I was writing out the story, that's not how I would write it. There would be more drama. There might be a battle scene somewhere. You know, there, there, there would be something else going on. This is, this is kind of strange. It's kind of, what, what's going on here? Who, who's responsible for this? You know, he didn't wave his hand over him. The prophet didn't do anything miraculous. He wasn't even there when the healing took place. And God is at work within this man Naaman's heart so much that he has a change of faith. And now his faith is in God. And he tells them, after he wants to bring the, the burnt offerings and sacrifice to any other God, and he wants to take these mules and bring the dirt back. In verse 18, he says, But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. In other words, my king worships a false god. And when he goes there, I have to bow down and kind of be an armrest for him. When I do that, I'm not really there. My heart's not in it, okay? I, I just want God to forgive me because this is part of my job. I have to go in there and I have to do this. And, and I, I just, can God forgive me for this one thing? And I love that answer that Elijah gives. He says, go in peace, Elijah said. After Naaman had traveled some distance. Well, we'll go on to that. Go in peace. Naaman just said, you know, I have to go into the temple, this pagan temple, the, the king. I have to bow down there. May God forgive me. And Elijah doesn't say, well, okay, we've got a problem here. Because God told Moses in Exodus that you're not to bow down to any graven image. And so you really are, in a sense, doing that. And so I'm sorry, but that will disqualify you from the blessings of God. Um, you, you have to stop that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't give him a list of what he has to do. He, he doesn't give him any further instructions. He says, go in peace. Now, he doesn't say, yeah, that's good, no problem. But he doesn't say it is a problem. He just says, go in peace. What, what's he doing? He is actually believing that God has done something and God is able to continue doing something in this man's life. I am amazed at how faithless we are in God. And what I mean by that is, you know, maybe it's a circumstance or your children. I, I talk to a lot of parents who are concerned about the children. You know, my son, he's doing this and he's doing this. And, you know, I, I've shared with him, but, you know, how do I get him to do this? 
I don't know. If you could figure out how you get them to do anything, let me know. I couldn't get them to mow the lawn. If you can get them to, you know, follow God, let me know the secret. But you know what? God has their address. God knows what's necessary to get through. And so you pray to the God of heaven and trust Him for what needs to take place. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He's on his chariot and he's going down and he's reading the scrolls of Isaiah. And he's there. Philip sees that he's there and he goes up to him and he says, Hey, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, How can I know unless someone shows me? That's actually a Jewish accent instead of Ethiopian. But I, I don't have an Ethiopian accent. So he... Philip gets on there and he starts explaining it to him and he shows them this is talking about Christ. They go down, they get baptized, and then Philip is gone. Well, who's doing follow-up with the Ethiopian eunuch? Someone's got to give him one of those sheets that says fill this out and mail it back and I'll call you in a few days. Someone's got to take care of these things. But it's this amazing idea that God has touched the heart and has changed the life of someone and now will take care of it from then on. And so Elijah says to Naaman, don't worry about it. Why? Because God says, I've got his heart. The dirt, one day the dirt's going to be gone and pretty soon Naaman's going to say, you know what? It's not the dirt. It's the God of Israel. One day, Naaman is going to grow up and he's going to understand more about this God who he's believing in because his relationship with him is going to increase as he worships him, which is something that happens with us. The more we walk with God, the more we understand him, the more we get closer to him, we understand the things that matter. How many things that I did when I first became a follower of Christ that, oh, I got to do this. Otherwise, you know, you know, fire and brimstone is going to come down or lightning is going to strike me. And I didn't have understanding of the heart of God. I was like, why would I do that? I, I call you into this relationship with me so I could smite you? What sense does that make? But it wasn't until I started knowing who God is and I saw the wonders of Him that His love is better than life that I was able to recognize who it is I truly believe in and how He's changed my life. Let's go on so we can finish this story. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said to himself, Hmm. Well, it doesn't say that there, but he said, My master was too easy on Naaman. This Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get some things from him. Now what I like, well not that I like, but what I find interesting, is as surely as the Lord lives, I will go and get these things from him. It's amazing how we can bring God into our plans how we can use God to manipulate the situation. I don't know how many guys have told my daughter that God told them that he was supposed to be her boyfriend. <clears throat> and I just say, he didn't tell me. Uh, 
but we so quickly bring God into the picture. Why? Because I'll just bring the spiritual aspect of this. You know, now it's holy because I use God. And so as the Lord lives after him, I will get some of these things. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman, and he urged Gehazi to accept them, and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them, he gave them ahead of Gehazi. So Gehazi lied. He lied. The prophet's servant was in it for gain. Made up a story to make it seem fine. Oh, it's not for me. It's for my master. These two guys came in, you know, this circumstance. It's deceptive. Verse 24. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master Elijah. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elijah asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere. He lied again. But Elijah said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men's servants and maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence, and he was leprous and white as snow. Is this the time to try and make something for yourself? God had done a work in touching Naaman's life. Were you going to now use that for gain? This was a holy moment. I remember when I was selling wood, I went into one of my clients' shops and was talking to him, and he was playing guitar. He had a little Spanish guitar, and he was playing. And I told him, well, I play guitar too, you know, and he spoke Spanish, but he spoke English as well. He actually spoke Italian too. And as I was talking with him, and I was... It, I, I knew one song in Spanish. I don't remember why I learned it. I played it someplace and I sang in Spanish this one song. It was the song, Your Holiness Surrounds Me. And I actually played it for him in Spanish. And the guy's eyes just were overflowing with tears. He said, that song was beautiful. And I was able to share with him about the Lord and God's love and how the love of God is a beautiful thing. And I remember I had one of those moments where, you know, you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And I had this one voice say, you could really sell him some wood right now. <laughs> and I had the other voice on the other say, really? Uh, you crazy? See, is this the time? to try and make profit when God is doing a work in someone's life? 
And what happens to us so many times is we, whether we're followers of Christ or not, are so focused on ourselves and what is beneficial for us that we don't see that God is at work in someone else. And this story began with a slave girl who was in the enemy camp, who was captured and taken, who said, there's a prophet in Israel. And we have the players, we have the the general to the enemy's army who is now cleansed and becomes a worshiper. We have the king of Israel who's faithless and afraid. We have the prophet of God who does the work of God and then we have the servant of the prophet who is in it for gain. And the unlikely heroes in this story, the servant girl, Naaman's servant, those who are least likely. And unless we have our understanding of how God works and how God wants to reach people, we will only see what is beneficial to us, what is going to make our church grow, what is going to help us to be looked highly in other people's eyes, what is going to be beneficial to me instead of the fact that, you know what? God is doing a work in this person's life. I get to be a part of that work. I don't want to disrupt it. And understand that God is reaching those who you wouldn't expect. Those in the story of our lives that are far from where we would think. And God is at work in their lives. And he can do a work. And he can bring them to an understanding of who he is and salvation that will rock their world and will change them. He did it to Paul of Tarsus. He did it to Naaman. He did it to me. He's done it to many of you. He can do it and is doing it still. Believe him. Be obedient. Be as the servant girl. She didn't know theology. She just knew there was a prophet. She just shared what she knew, and it changed this man's life. Share what you know. Know the God you believe in. And allow him to influence your life so that it will affect those around you. Don't be silent. Be alive. Let the Spirit's fire continue to burn in you and be the voice of the God who loves those who are around us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for once again how you reveal yourself, Lord, to those that we would not even consider. Lord, I thank you for this story of your working in the enemy's camp using people who are unexpected as well as, Father, bringing us to an understanding that we do not want to be like Gehazi, in it for ourselves, desirous for our gain. Lord, we want to see you glorified and honored. I pray that you would work within us, Father, to accomplish those things. And Lord, all the things that we've kind of addressed today, the, the work in Haiti, the building, Mexico... Lord, our community that you want to reach. Father, I pray that you would 
Enable us, Lord, to be effective. Lord, might we seek to honor you and not to build ourselves up. Father, I pray for the finances to to move forward with the things that we want to do, Lord. You do the work within us. You provide, Lord. May it be with a generous and a, a joyful heart, Lord. We want to see you work, God. And we want to be a part of that work. And so I pray that you would bless, Lord, the offerings that are, are given. I pray that you would bless the servants who, who give of their time and help, Lord, in the building and with the children and go to Mexico or to Vizcaino or even Haiti, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would ignite our hearts to be a part of your work. And that work would flourish, God. And that it would be indeed contagious, Lord. Even as the prayer of those Haitians, that we would be thankful, Lord. We are alive, and so we know we're here for a purpose, Lord. Might our purpose be to honor you. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.